My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 142. Hey folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. This is the Thanksgiving special. Now, nah, there aren't going to be any floats, no parades, none of that stuff. I'm not going to get real mushy or anything. I am going to talk about thankfulness, though. Uh, in this show, I'm actually going to go through a list of things that we can all be thankful for with regard to our car lives. Sometimes it's not a bad idea to look back and reflect. Too often we are just inundated with all the news of the day, and sometimes it, it wears on us, doesn't it? And there's something about looking back in time, being a little nostalgic, that I think it feeds the soul a little bit. I love to go back and go and look at a lot of the letters that were written between my family members. My mom uh, was a consolidator, just like her aunts were. Her aunts, Aunt Ruth and Aunt Gwen, kept everything, kept letters. Of course, mom's parents did too. If it was of any significance, they took the letter and put it in an envelope or put it in a, a folder and kept it. And now I'm the beneficiary of these letters that my mom wrote, for example, when she was four years old. Yeah, I guess she could write. Maybe five years old. To her aunts, uh, Gwen and Ruth, and talking about things that are going on in their household and can't wait to come see you and, you know, just all the things. The letters from college, uh, the letters from, from the South Pacific my dad wrote to his mom, who was worried to death about him during World War II. You know, all of that stuff... Uh, is very meaningful to me now. I wish I had paid attention or more attention to it when they were my parents were alive. I have so many questions that I wish that I had asked them. But a lot of those questions have been answered, you know, as I've gone back and and looked at all of this this legacy that they left behind. You know, they left behind a lot of furniture, uh, artwork. You know, not a whole lot of valuable stuff. You know, some jewelry and things like that. They're typical things that people leave behind. But it's those letters. It's the pictures, too. They kept tons of pictures and 8mm movies and things like that. And I have uh, recently purchased a, um, a projector screen. I've got the projector. It still works. And uh, But I didn't have a screen, couldn't find it anywhere, so I got this modern screen, and, and I just sit down in my basement and play that. It's kind of like Chevy Chase in uh, the Christmas Vacation movie when he got stuck in the attic, and he's up there, and he finds his mom's clothes and starts putting those on, or grandmother's clothes, and he finds this projector and a, and a screen and starts showing old movies, and he's sitting there just sobbing, you know, as he reminisces about the those good times, what seemed like all the, the good times in the past. I've done that same thing, and I get it, and it's valuable to me. So anyway, what we're going to do is is uh, not get too mushy from that standpoint. We're going to talk about things in our car life. You know, in the early part of the 20th century, Americans really didn't go anywhere. They just uh, took weekly trips to town uh, by horse and buggy, maybe short walks or rides to the church, and that's about it. I mean, nobody took vacations. They had too many responsibilities at home um, to leave and, and go. They just, you know, going to the beach, that didn't happen unless you lived really close to the beach because uh, it would have taken weeks or months 
to get there and back. Uh, there were no places to stay either, no motels, no campgrounds. Only in larger towns and cities could you find a room, which more often than not you had to share with fellow travelers. But the automobile gave us the ability to travel. Uh, in 1900, over half of all U.S. citizens lived on a farm. Can you imagine? Until about 1920, travel was the exclusive uh, luxury of the wealthy. So if you went far, you went by train. Uh, currently, the average family travels about 16,000 miles a year by car. In 1900, the average family traveled 340 miles total. Isn't that amazing? 340 miles in a year. You know, and the automobile gave us a lot of non-farm employment. You know, the average commute in 1900 was less than a mile. They either walked or rode a horse. Uh, today, the average commute is 27.6 miles one way. You know, at the beginning of World War II, the Ford Motor Company built a plant to manufacture B-24 bombers. It was called Willow Run. Now, before uh, this plant was built, it was just a field. It was owned by Henry Ford, and they used it for farming and different things. And he would have, uh, it was a protected, kind of like a reserve, you know, where they could hunt and and grow crops and stuff like that. Uh, it was not uh, developed at all out in that area. But that changed when uh, World War II came along, and there was a tremendous need for armaments to be able to win the war. I highly recommend you read a book called The Arsenal of Democracy. And it is, it is about basically how we won the war by outproducing the Germans and the, uh, the Axis powers. But one of the main issues uh, was that the plant was 35 miles from the center of Detroit. So, you know, once they figured out, well, in the process of building the plant, they started thinking about, okay, where are all the workers going to come from from this plant? So uh, such a commute was like a big problem at that time. So Henry Ford had to build a city of homes right next to the plant. It was a virtual town, and it was to house the workers as well as provide uh, rail and bus transportation for many from outlying areas to get them to this plant because their objective, which they finally did achieve, was to build one B-24 bomber per hour. Okay, I'm going to take my first break, and we'll finish this in just one minute. Okay, welcome back to my Thanksgiving special. I plan on eating until my sides are going to bust today. I went and picked up my grandson yesterday, and I don't think I can keep up with him anymore. He he likes to talk about all the different things that he eats. He's a big football player and, and really into weightlifting and stuff, and he got moved up from the freshman team to the varsity, and he's now the starting middle linebacker on the varsity as a freshman. you believe that? His dad would be so proud. But let's continue talking about the blessing of the automobile. You know, the automobile gave us suburbs. It gave us subdivisions, shopping centers. Uh, to the chagrin of many, it gave us fast food like McDonald's and drive-in movies. The mobility provided by the automobile changed the way everyone and everything worked in this country. And it has continued to evolve even today. People no longer need to, to live in the city. Um, they could have bigger yards and what was turned out to be safer places to live. They could buy merchandise and food without leaving the car. Just think about all the activities that we do as humans and Americans that are designed around the automobile. I mean, it's, it's the core 
of our society. I read a book one time called One Minute After, and it was about an EMP strike that the South Koreans or somebody uh, let loose over the United States and basically knocked out all of the printed circuits that existed in the U.S. at that time. And all the cars stopped running. And that total lack of mobility, that immediate thrust into the uh, 19th century was an unbelievable shock to the system. This book is, well, it's worth reading just so you kind of have an, a, a picture of what that's like unless you scare real easy, and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with it. Uh, the automobile also forced governments to build connections to take us places and to get us there faster. Uh, one of the largest projects, of course, was the interstate system. It was patterned after the Autobahn in Germany, uh, the interstate system was authorized on June 29th, 1956 by who? Who was the president? That's right, Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower was greatly influenced by a cross-country trip that he had taken in 1919 when he was a young Army officer. Imagine traveling at that time with the uh, transportation system that we had. They drove most of the way on what was called the Lincoln Highway, the actual first road across America. You know, what many people don't realize is that while most of the interstate construction cost is funded by the federal government, the state actually owns the road and is responsible for a lot of the maintenance and upgrades with further federal assistance. You know, I always wondered why the pavement surface changed when you went from one state to another. You know, if it's the federal highway, why wouldn't they just go ahead and just keep paving? And it's because the states take over uh, at the state line. I thought that was interesting. The automobile also gave many of us, like me, a career. Uh, also a hobby, like me, and a passion for the artistry of engineering and design. You know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, cars aren't art. Cars are as much art as any building, as any painting, as any sculpture. I mean, they are sculptures, in my opinion. I think a lot of people would agree with that. You know, when Henry Ford puttered down the road in his newly created horseless carriage, the car was not even a novelty. It was simply a dream at that point. Although he wasn't the first person to create a horseless carriage, that was... Uh, a guy named Carl Benz in Germany. Uh, they beat Henry to the punch, and then the first actual car in the United States was was built by a guy named Ransom E. Olds. Yep, Oldsmobile, founder of Oldsmobile in Lansing, Michigan. But the car was the equivalent of many firsts. If you think about the radio, you know, and how that transformed the country, uh, the television, the computer, the cell phone, just think, in a short 30 years, the past 30 years, we went from dial phones and calling the bank to pass on customer information for a loan approval to faxing that information in, to scanning that information in, to a direct internet approval process that's totally automated. We went from carburetors to direct fuel injection, from no seat belts to sophisticated airbag systems, from drum brakes to four-channel ABS systems and automatic braking. You know, I was driving down the interstate yesterday using Blue Cruise. That's Ford's hands-free driving feature. So I turned it on, and I took my hands off the steering wheel. I'd gone to pick up my grandson. Uh, we meet 
his other grandparents in Corbin, Kentucky. That's about halfway point between um, Cincinnati, well, just below, just south of Cincinnati where they live, too, and, and Greenville, Tennessee. We meet right there in Corbin. It's about two-and-a-half-hour drive. But I took my hands off the steering wheel. He looked over at me real quick. He said, oh, that's that automatic uh, hands-free driving thing. I said, yep. I said, would you trust that? He said, well, yeah, I would trust it. I think young people are more trusting of that new technology sometimes than we are, but I've had to experiment with it, and I've really enjoyed it. I mean, my hands are close, but it uh, it will keep you centered in the lane, and it uh, will accelerate if there's nothing, I mean, up to the, the speed that you said, just like cruise control, and it'll maintain that speed until somebody slows down in front of you, and then it will match their speed. If you want to change lanes, you just turn on the turn signal and hold it, and it will, it will look for you, make sure that nothing's coming, and then it will change lanes. You know, it's uh, a long way from full automation where you can actually, you know, take your eyes off the road and not pay attention, take a nap. It's not there, although some people have done that and lost their lives because of it in Teslas. But that's uh, we're not there yet, and I'm glad. I, I like paying attention to where I'm going. So anyway, I'm thankful for all of this. What I am most thankful for, though, however, are the lives that have touched mine in this business uh, and the lives that we've been able to touch uh, through the automobile business. I run into so many people all the time. You know, when you're uh, in the same town for 50-plus years and uh, you're all over the TV, uh, you're on the radio, you have a radio show maybe, um, you're involved, your family's very much involved in the community, you know, in terms of volunteerism and uh, very involved in the church. I mean, you become known. And when people see you out, they either think they know you, uh, know they know you, or can call you by name and know your family and so forth. There's all different levels, as we all know. And I'll have to admit that sometimes that has gotten a little bit old. You know, sometimes you just, now I'm not acting like I'm famous or anything, but I'm telling you, all you have to do is be on TV and people think they look at you differently. But what they don't always consider is the fact that, you know, I pay when I'm on TV. That's not free. Nobody's paying me to be on there. Nobody's paying me to do this radio show either. Uh, I do this as uh, a mission. You know, it's something that I want to do to help people uh, navigate this uh, car life that we all live. But anyway, you know, what my dad started when he joined Chevrolet Motor Division in 1956, I've been able to continue, you know, to this day. I'm thankful for that. This radio show, like I say, has been a blessing to me, and I hope it's been a blessing to those who have listened and learned maybe save some time either in the service department or shopping for a car, negotiating a deal. They've saved some money because of some of the the ideas that I have, things that you should say, things that you should not say, things that you should focus on, and the things you definitely shouldn't. And then, you know, any kind of trouble, avoiding trouble in their car life, things that they can do preventatively as far as maintenance is concerned so that they don't uh, have serious car trouble when they least expect it or need it. So, and also, I'm thankful that car dealers are an important part of just about every community in which they exist. I mean, I think about 
the dealers in the Tri-City region where I live in Upper East Tennessee, um, for the most part, they're a bunch of very good people. Uh, they are steady employers. They are great contributors to the tax base for sure, and also to the community in terms of the volunteering that they do and the philanthropy that they offer and contribute to all different types of things, everything from, you know, sponsoring little league teams and, and such, um, you know, football teams and, and schools in many different ways. Um, you know, the American Cancer Society, the, the runs that they do, the, you know, the 5Ks and the, the car shows that, that uh, they sponsor and participate in. You know, all of this is just a part of living in a community and engaging with that community. I see a lot of young people today, especially, you know, when I'm doing training sessions and stuff here at the dealership for new employees or salespeople. I say, you know, what civic organization do you guys belong to? No hands go up. Nobody belongs to anything. You know, my parents encouraged me when I first got into the car business was to join the JCs, which was a, a young uh, civic, a young person civic organization did a lot of good in the community, and then they wanted me to join the exchange club. Well, I was invited to join. They they really wanted me to just get involved in the community, and quite frankly, I was a little bit hesitant. It's not that I was afraid to do it. I was just uh, I just didn't think it would be something I would enjoy, or that it would be that beneficial. Boy, was I wrong. I mean, I met some of the most important people in my life, and all of them, every one of them, were older than me considerably. Many of them were like um, 30, 40, 50 years older than me that I would go to the exchange club meetings and sit across the table from and learn so much and gain so much in terms of you know, just community knowledge and things that are going on. Uh, and also business tips and, and gain customers, people that said, well, you know, if he's in the exchange club, maybe we ought to go over and try to buy a car from him. Got a lot of business from it. So, you know, I'm very thankful for all of that and for the opportunities that, you know, the things that my parents pushed me into that I didn't want to do, but I ultimately gave in. You know, sometimes it, it pays great dividends to just give in. Okay, I'll be back in just one minute. You know, you can't give in to everything. You know, sometimes you have to, to draw the line. And, you know, one of the things I definitely do in this radio show is to show you how to draw lines, how to set boundaries, especially when you're, you know, you're trying to manage your car life. You're, you're living your normal life, and then there's this great interruption of a disabled automobile, or you have a check engine light come on, or you know you need something, and then your car is taken out of your possession for a while because it needs a part, or it has a recall, or something like that. You know these aren't easy things to navigate in a modern society because of the mobility that we have gotten used to, accustomed to. I also do my best to save you money. And uh, I would encourage you, if you know somebody else that is, uh, you know, maybe not listening to the podcast or the radio show, that to get them to start and go back into the archive. You can go to 
Apple Podcast or Amazon Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. You can go to any of those places, or you can just go Google My Car Guru Podcast, and it'll come up. And you can go in and see all the different topics that that we have, or that I have created. I mean, they are they're basically I would estimate four hundred different radio shows that are online right now. That's a lot of talking. What's 400 times 23 minutes? 9,200 minutes. How many hours is that? 153 hours. I've got a quick calculator on my desk. Now, all of that may not be totally instructive, but most of it is. And the topics are, or, or the shows are titled. So that is the main subject that we're talking about. So if you've got somebody that's credit challenged, then there's a podcast for that. If you've got somebody who's trying to buy a car right now and they want to know how to negotiate a, the very best deal you can get, there's it's it's in there. It's in there multiple times probably. Well, thank you for listening to the radio program. Thank you for um, all the feedback that I get on the radio program. And I will always be thankful for you and for all of the many people who have made it possible for the Lawson family to be in East Tennessee and and run a business successfully for 52 years, 54 years now. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next time on the next My Car Guru.